Kartapurk. So let's break that word apart. Karta. What does the word karta mean? To do. Most people refer to it as creator. Most people refer to karta as creator or creating. And while there is a definition of karta, another definition of karta is to do, doing. And Barney uses both words. Barney uses both meanings when it uses the word karta. So if we look at Jaap Saib, Barney has used the word karta there as the creator. Namo sarb karta, namo sarb harta. I bow down to the one that creates and the one that removes, the one that destroys. So there the word karta is used as a creator. Because he's used the word harta, then you know that the one means creator because the other one is talking about destruction. But in Rera Saib, Karta is used as the doer. Tu karta karana main nahi. Jahan kari na hoi. You do everything. I cannot do anything. Tu karta karana main nahi. There's nothing that I can do. Jahan kari na hoi. If I do, then it doesn't happen. Whatever I try and do doesn't happen. So the word karta is used both to mean doer and creator. So straight away you know that when you look at translations that says Karta Puruk, he is the creator, then you know that's only half the definition. In fact, the more apt definition is the doer. Because if you look at the creator, You'll think of somebody who creates and then walks away from their creation. He created the universe and that's it. He did his job. But if he's doing it right here, right now, then everything that's happening is it's doing. It is doing it right now. The universe is doing right now. Karta. And Puruk. What does it mean when the word ends with Ankar? Masculine and singular. So here, the word Puruk is, the Puruk actually means man. Puruk actually means man. Means Pursha. Pursha means man. But it also means being. A being. So Puruk is a universal being that is in man. It is the being that is in man. And not only men, in mankind. But it means being. It comes from the Sanskrit word Pursha. But Purk also means man. Barney talks about Nari and Purk, man and woman. So let's look at the history of some of these words. Where did these words come from? Where do these words appear? Are these exclusive to Sikhi? Are these exclusive to Guru Nanak? Let's have a look. In the Bhagavad Purana, which is 500 to 1000 years AD, the word Karta appears. So easily 1500 years before Bani was, was written, before Guru Nanak Dev Ji was born, the word Karta appears in the Purana, Bhagavad Purana. And it says a very interesting thing. 
it says, when the soul is under the spell of the ego. When the soul is under the spell of the material nature and ego, identifying with his body as the self, he becomes absorbed in the material world. And by the influence of his false ego, he thinks that he is the karta of everything. Let me repeat that. When your soul, when your being, when your atma is under the spell or is being under the, the drug of ego, the false identification with the body, this is me. This is what is important. He gets lost in the material world. And by the influence of his false ego, he thinks that he is the doer of everything. He thinks that he is the karta of everything. So that's a very interesting use of the word karta in the, in the Purana. So what about the word pursha? In the Rig Veda, this is 1700 BC, so we're talking about almost 4,000-year-old scripture. In the Rig Veda, one of the oldest Vedas. The Pursha is described as the prime evil giant that surrounds the whole of creation and has a thousand heads and a thousand eyes and a thousand feet. So what is it talking about there? Pursha is described in the Rig Veda, which is 1700 BC, as a prime evil giant that surrounds the whole of creation, has a thousand eyes, a thousand heads, and a thousand feet. So, what is it talking about there? Well, it seems very mythical, mythological. But as time has go gone on, and as you go back further and further in time, people were less and less and less educated. And people's thinking was far more simpler. So almost 4,000 years ago, if a Brahmjani had come across the oneness of the whole universe, how is he going to explain it to simple be beings? He's going to say that imagine that there is a being that exists everywhere and can see everything and can do everything, and his feet means you walk with your feet. You, so it, it, walks, it, it walks everybody's walk. It sees everything, and it has a countless heads. Pursha. So it's not actually, oh, that's that Hindu nonsense. They just believe in, in funny characters and gods and demons and stuff. No, it's the same thing. It's just described in a different way, saying that imagine that there is a being that's everywhere and can do everything, and has a thousand heads. So, 4,000 years ago, people's thinking was a lot simpler. So, how does a Brahmjani explain to people at that time? It explains using more sort of characters. And this is why the older the text you go, the more story-like it becomes. Greek mythology, Hindu mythology, the Bible, is full of stories. Why? Because it's so many thousand years old, Guru Granth Sahib doesn't have that many stories. Guru Granth Sahib speaks more to the mind and says, Oh my mind, why do you work like this and why do you think like this? But thousands of years ago, people weren't so analytical. So it had to use more stories. 
So the Bible is full of stories of people who lived good lives and people who didn't live good lives and all those sort of things to explain to people, if you're going to be spiritual, this is the way to do it. So the word Pursha, Purk, is at least 4,000 years old. Interestingly, the word Purk also means somebody who lives in a town. The word town, even in Punjabi, we use is Pur. Anandpur, Gurdaspur. Pur means town, Purk means a man who lives in a town. So who lives within your town? Who lives within your being? Bani is saying, there is something that lives within you, and that is the one. The one that lives within you is the Purk. Interestingly, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, when he completed his four Udasis, he settled in an area and one of his beloved followers was so enchanted by Guru Nanak Dev Ji, he gave Guru Nanak Dev Ji a whole bunch of land and he said, here you go, I want to donate this land to you. Guru Nanak Dev Ji accepted. And the tradition of the time was... Whoever owned that land, they, you put your name to that land. So they were asking, you know, Guruji, Guru Nanak Dev Ji, what should we call this land? Let's call it something to do with you, like Nanak Town, Nanakpur, something like that. Guru Nanak Dev Ji said, I can't put my name because who am I? I'm nothing. He said, you've not donated this land to me, you've donated this land to God. So I call this land Kartarpur, God's town. So the first town that Guru Nanak Dev Ji created was Kartarpur, Kartapurk. It's the same, same use of that word. So Guru Nanak Dev Ji is saying, this is where Guru Nanak Dev Ji lived for a long time. He settled there, he did all of his farming there. So he named the town God's Town, Kartarpur. He said, don't put my name to it, I'm nothing. Put God's name to it, Kartarpur, the creator's town. So how do we understand Kartapurak? So that's some of the history of that, of that word. How do we understand its meaning? We can understand it in three different ways. One way that we can understand it is God is the doer. God does everything. Kartapurak. It is the being that does everything. In Rerasab we have a Shabbat called Sopurak. And there Gurbani says, Tu ad purak aparampar karta. Karta purak. Tu ad purak aparampar karta ji. To the jevad avar nakoi. Tu ad purak. You are the primal being. Aparampar karta. The most beautiful creator. Aparampar karta. To the jevad avar nakoi. There is no one else like you. Tu jug jug eko. Sada sada tu eko ji. Throughout time, you are the oneness. You are the one. Sada sada tu eko. Throughout history, you have been the one. Sada sada tu eko. And in, forever in the future, you will be the one. Tu nehechal karta soi. You are the nehechal. Chal means to go. Nehechal means never going. You are the permanent. You are permanent. Tu nehechal karta soi. And you are the doer of everything. You create everything, you do everything. So that's one way to understand that God does everything. Everything is God's will and we've talked about those sort of things already. 
that which has been created is also the one doing everything. So God doesn't just sit back and create and then walk away. God creates, the oneness creates, and then is submerged within the oneness itself, within the creation itself. And it does it all itself. So God is everywhere, in everything. God is doing everything. In Anand Sahib, E visansar tum dekde e harka roop hai, har roop nadri aya. This world that you can see, e harka roop hai, this is God's form. This is not God's creation, this is God's form. E visansar tum dekde, this world that you can see, this creation that you can see, this is God's form. Har roop nadri aya. All that I can see is God's form. Everything that is seen is God's form. So Karta Purakh is to say that everything is God. In the Hindu tradition, they have a very beautiful analogy to understand Karta Purakh. One of the forms of Shiva is in the form of Nataraj, the dancing God. And there's a really beautiful analogy that is being described in this dancing God. What it's saying is that you cannot separate the dance and the dancer. And this is what the universe is like. You see, if you take the analogy of a painter, a painter is painting his, his masterpiece. As soon as he's finished his final brushstroke, that's it. Him and the painting are separate. The painting can be destroyed and the painter will still be alive. Or the painter can die but the painting will still be alive. And this is how we understand the creator. Like it's someone separate, someone far away. But in the Hindu mythology what they say is actually you need to understand the creator more like a dancer. When the dancer is there, the dancing is there. The dance is there. You cannot separate the dancer from the dance. You can't say that the dance continues but the dancer has gone home. When the dancer is dancing, the whole dance is alive. When the dancer stops, the dance stops. And this is Karta Purak. This, all around you, is the universe dancing right now. This is the song, the dance of the universe. And that means that this very present moment it is alive right now. It's dancing. It's creating right now. It's creating the next part of the dance. Every moment evolves into the next moment. Every step of the dance leads into the next step of the dance. And this is infinitely continuous. It just keeps going on. So you can see God from the God perspective. God is doing it. God is dancing. But you can also look at from your perspective that your creativity your ability to do stuff is the one doing it through you the oneness is doing through you and if you want to experience the Kartapurak the only closest experience I can give you is you know when you've created something, when you've made something yourself, 
let's say you've made a piece of artwork, or even if it's cooking and you've made something that you're really proud of, or you've made anything out of your own hands, that moment that you finish creating it, that bliss and joy that you feel having created something, whether it's good or not, whether anybody else sees it or not, whether you like it or not, that joy of just having created something in front of you, that bliss is the bliss that the Kartapurak experiences every moment. The universe is in that bliss at every moment because it is constantly creating. So if you want to know just that taste of what that's like, whether you've created something in art or in dance or in cooking or you've built something, you'll know that sort of ananda that you feel just having done something for yourself. And imagine the whole universe is in that ananda all the time. That is the anand that the universe is in. So, we can understand Kartapurk as God. We can understand Kartapurk in terms of time, that time creates the next time, and time is, is activity of doing that's just happening all the time. And you can see Kartapurk in yourself, in your own creativity, is His doing. The problem is that we don't really stay in this mentality very, very long. We don't really have this mindset. And we very quickly fall back into duality. And all of our life's problems stem from duality, from dualistic thinking. All problems, all of our suffering, is because we have someone to blame. The other is always to blame. There's always a perpetrator, and there's always a victim. And you're always the victim. And there's always somebody else that's oppressing you in some way. And because there's you and the other, you and the other, you've created a duality, me and him, me and her. And you've, because you've created that duality, you create the problems that come with that. The reality is, all that there is is one. That's Guru Nanak's formula, that is the ultimate truth that can never be broken. But your dualistic thinking makes you believe that you can be a victim and somebody else can be the oppressor. And the solution to that is tera kiyami talage. Everything you do is sweet. Hukam. Take yourself out of the equation. Remember the simple equation? There's no I in there. Take yourself out of that equation. Take yourself Take a step back from what's happening in life. There is no reason for you to get involved. Even if somebody is hitting you, even if somebody is swearing at you, even if somebody is doing horrible things to you, look at Barney. Look at the, the, the Gurbani where, where they're saying, Bureda Palakar. Thank the, the, the bad people who are oppressing you. Look at the Shabbat, which talks about Nindo, Nindo. The people are continuously slandering me, but I'm in Anand. It doesn't affect me. In fact, they're remembering me. What do you do when there's someone you don't like? They walk into the room and you're like, oh, I don't want to talk to that guy. Half an hour after they've left, they're still in your head. They're still there in your head. You know what you're doing? You're doing their Naam Simran. You're meditating on them. You're saying their name 
Even if you're swearing at them, oh, that horrible guy, that horrible guy, that horrible guy. That's really what you're doing. You're doing their Naam Simran. Do you want to be doing that Naam Simran? You know, they say if, if somebody's saying bad things about me, they've, like, there's a, a space in their head that, that, that they've rented out to me. That I'm living in their head. So I should be thankful because they're giving me a place in their head. And this is what you do. If there's someone you don't like, even if they're not here, even if they've, you know, even if they've moved on, you haven't moved on. So, all of the problems that we experience in life is this dualistic thinking. Oppressor, victim, oppressor, victim. Duality. Bhai Gurdasti says, in var number 15, Karta purkh visar ke manas di man astrehi. Forgetting the karta purkh, the mind goes on pinning its hopes on mankind. And this is what we do. We forget the oneness and we're always depending on, it, on other people to resolve our problems. And when they don't resolve our problems, we look down on them. Why are you pinning your hopes on mankind? Mankind is nothing more than other people who have forgotten God. And who are you to pin your hopes on anything? Let yourself go. Realize that you yourself are that oneness. Bhai Gurdashi goes on in the same var, var 15. Karta purakh na cheteo. You have not remembered the karta purakh. Kite nu karta kar jane. That which has been created, you have accepted as the creator. So the world has been created and you rely on them as your master. We rely on Maya, the material world, as our master. The whole world itself is what we rely on. Because we forget the one that is in everything. And, you know, this victim mentality, the oppressor and the victim, that also applies with regret. With regret and self-blame, what you've done is you've created yourself as the perpetrator. I did something bad to someone. You have made yourself the doer. I'm the one who did this to someone. I'm the kartapurk. I'm the being that has created this situation. And because you can't shake the fact that you did it, then you're the one that's blaming yourself. And that's where regret comes in. That's where self-blame comes in. And that becomes very hard to let go. Because I've, I've done it. I can't take away the fact that I've done it. That's, all you, that's the mantra that you keep reciting. Why did I do it? But the I hasn't gone. The solution isn't that you can go and right the wrong that's been committed. The solution is simply to remove the I and accept that the situation can't change anymore. So you're unable to forgive yourself because you can't accept that your own past actions are a part of hukum, are a part of the will. You can't accept that. You can't accept that what you did is actually not your own doing. You become the oppressor and you become your own victim as well. So the oppressor-victim mentality is both within you, so you create the duality within yourself. So that's when you become the sinner, I'm such a sinner. 
God is the deliverer of good things, I'm the deliverer of all the sin. I'm the one who delivers all the sin. And this is the false ego, the false duality that we live with. But the thing is that it's really still allowing you to exist. As long as you're holding on and saying, I did that bad thing, no, I'm not going to forgive myself, I'm never going to forgive myself, you're still holding on to the fact that I, I exist. And as long as you exist, God can't exist. There's a perfectly simple rule. If I exist, then God cannot exist. If God exists, then I cannot exist. There's no room for two. There's only one. Either you're here right now, or God is here right now. We need to accept hukum. And everything is in hukum. All disease, disabilities, all wars, all murders, all good things, and all bad things. We talk about things like forgiveness and self-blame. Has anyone noticed that there's no mention of forgiveness in Gurbani? There's not much shabads that teach you how to forgive people or how to forgive yourself. Anyone notice that? It's just, it's just not there. And there's a reason for that. Because Gurbani, and another reason why this is called the Mool Mantar, is because if you are to forgive someone, you still have to exist, and the other person still has to exist. And the reason this is called the Mool Mantar is Gurbani is going at the very root of who you are and saying, I'm not even going to allow you to exist. I'm going to pull the rug from underneath you. It goes to the very root of who you are and destroys that. So where is the question of forgiveness? That's why Barney doesn't talk about how to deal with these things. Because it's a waste of your time to deal with these things. If you dealt with the I am, if you dealt with the fact that I exist, then you pull the root from underneath you. It's the very simple analogy of if you want to kill a tree, you don't start by plucking all the leaves, right? If you want to kill a tree, are you going to kill the tree by plucking every single leaf? What happens when you pluck all the leaves? They're going to grow back. If you pluck one, maybe two are going to come back. And this is how our problems exist. And this is why Barney doesn't tell you how to deal with these problems. Because it's like plucking trees. Say, I really want to be a more forgiving person. But why doesn't Barney tell you how to be a more forgiving person? Because you still exist. Why does Gurbani want you to exist? If you want to kill a tree, what do you have to do? Pull it from the roots. And this is what Gur Gurbani is doing with you. It's pulling the root out of you. Your very self-definition, it pulls out. So where's the question of, you have to forgive someone else? No, all that there is is God. Understand that, pull the root of your own self-definition out. And where's the question of dealing with forgiveness? Barney doesn't teach you how to deal with this stuff because it's superficial. And you get a lot of modern self-help psychology books that are all about, oh, you must learn to do this and you must learn to do that, how to be a more forgiving person, how to be this, how to be that. It doesn't deal with the fact that you still exist. Gurbani is the root of the self-definition. So it's saying, if we're going to treat you, we're going to just do it ikkoibari. You know, we're not going to we're not going to be faffing around pulling all these tiny little sins out of you. Let's deal with the sin of, of 
hankar, right? Tomorrow, let's deal with the single sin of being a puppy, of doing this, of doing that. Gurbani says, forget it. Mool mantar. Do mool mantar. Cut the very root of your self-definition. Ape all the trees and the leaves and the branches. Everything's going to fall. Another reason why it's called the mool mantar. It pulls the very root of who you are. It's easy to talk about giving up the I and surrender everything to yourself. But I ask you to forgive someone or forgive yourself and then you're saying, well, hang on, I'm not quite there yet. Because there are things that we're carrying around with us, emotions, pain, feelings, that are not so easy to give up. And so, while we think it might sound pretty simple to say, give yourself up, give up the I, we need to just be mindful of that, the fact that actually there's some deep-rooted things that over so many years that we've been carrying with us. And it's not for us to dwell on them, but it's just for you to be aware of if you're giving this up. Are you, are you ready? Why am I not ready to give that up? Why am I not ready to forgive that person? You know, we don't, I don't want to make this conversation all very abstract for you guys. You know, just give yourself up, give up your ego, there's no I. Sounds great. Why am I not ready to forgive myself for such and such? Why, why do I hold on to that? Should I be holding on to that? Because some of these things you're not doing because you want to, it's just there as part of you. So if you don't want to be doing it, the first thing to do is to lift it up, bring it to the surface and let's, let's see all the, the dirt that we're dealing with. What is this I that we're dealing with? Let's have a look. So you need to be aware that this I is quite a complex being. It's been around as long as you have. So it's developed quite a lot and it's got many layers to it. So when you say that you're going to give up the I, there's quite a lot that you're giving up. And it's a quite a big task to do it. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking it's really easy. So I don't mean for anybody to dwell on these things. And I know we've just said that we're not going to spend much time thinking about forgiveness. But more importantly, I don't really care so much for the forgiveness, but I, I'm more interested in what is the I that's stopping you from forgiving. That's Kartapurak. Who is the one that has done it? As long as I am the doer and I have done it, then there's going to be this self-blame. This is when we actually need to work on things that are deep-rooted in us. Otherwise, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we've given our ego up. And there's nothing more dangerous than somebody who thinks he's given his ego up. Because that guy can do no wrong. And Guru Nanak Dev Ji isn't about the superficial he doesn't want to pretend that he's taken the roots out of you. He really wants to take the roots out of you. 